Well, good morning, friends. We welcome all of you to Reveille United Methodist Church. We are glad that you are here this day as we gather in in in-person worship. And we also welcome all the many folks who are with us on our live stream, not only right now, but also that those of you who will be participating with us throughout the week. We are excited to gather on this day of worship. This is a very special day. We have a lot of things that are happening. Uh, In just a moment, we're going to invite our scouts to come in with the procession. Today is Scout Sunday. a year we recognize the importance of our scouting ministry with Troop 444 here at Reveille. And one of their scoutmasters, uh, Ian Coddington, is going to offer us a word today about our scouting ministry. But we are excited that they are here with us today. We're also continuing our sermon series this morning entitled Hard Questions. As you know, every week we've been taking on a hard question. Today we're going to bring it all home with our final question uh, that goes something like this. How many times will we see Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl tonight, right? So, no, we're not preaching on that. But we are going to talk about the question, is heaven real? And uh, say more about that uh, in our sermon time here today. But before we do that, let me just highlight, there's a whole lot of things that are happening because we are entering into uh, the season of Lent. Next Sunday is the first season of Lent, but this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We hope you'll come and join us for worship as we enter into these 40 days together. Uh, We will have a service at... uh, uh, 12 o'clock and a service at 5.30. They'll both be the same services. We invite you to come and join us uh, to receive the ashes and to enter into these 40 days. In addition, Tuesday night, this Tuesday night, we will have a Shrove Tuesday Pancake Supper. Uh, All the proceeds of that will go to our youth mission fund, but we hope you'll come and join us Tuesday night to have supper and pancakes and sausage and bacon uh, as we enter into this Lenten season together. Finally, uh, let me highlight for you two particular needs we have in the church now for volunteers. Most of you know that we have been working on our Habitat for Humanity home uh, that we're building. We did the first part of it here. Now it's on site, and we need volunteers particularly who can work on Wednesday or Thursday. If you can do that, there's information in the bulletin. You can talk to Lauren Atkins, or, or you, and you can sign up to help us out. We would love that. Uh, Let me offer one other very sharp need for us right now. Uh, Most of you know that we work very hard to create a liturgical worship setting, particularly around Christmas and Easter with the altar and with all of our sanctuary. We need some help on that. If you are able to help us to put together Christmas and Easter and and make this place look worshipful and beautiful, I hope that you'll uh, step up. Uh, If you have any questions about that and get any details, you can talk to Daniel after the service. But we would love to have you be a part of all of that and help make this place worshipful and sacred. Once again, we welcome all of you. We're glad that you're here. The Lord be with you.
troop attention. Scout sign. Scout out on my own. Honor, I will do my best to do my duty to guide my country, to obey the scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent.
I invite you now to stand in body or in spirit and join me for our call to worship. Beyond our busyness, above the cold winter floor, there is a glory rising born of heaven and reaching out to each one of us. It transforms darkness into hope. It brings life from a cross where old life ends, a new life is born. Let us worship from the mountain and hear again. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Come, Christians, join to sing loud praises to our king. You'll find these words on number 158 in your hymnal.
Having gathered into the presence of the Holy God, let us now confess who we are with our prayer of common confession and then our silent personal confession. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, have mercy on us. You offer us radiant images of eternity, and we cheapen them. You show us what your kingdom looks like, and we turn away. On this day of transfiguration, you pull aside the veil to show us our future and that of this creation. It is glorious and calls to us, but we give our attention to lesser things. Forgive us for not joining you on the mountain. Call us back now as we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear now the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. I invite you now to share signs of reconciliation and peace with those around you.
children are out in the audience. If you can come forward, this is our children's message time. My name is Karen Rios, and if we have any of you visiting with us on our live stream, and if there are any children out there, please move a little closer to your screen, because this is your time as well. Well, you guys sounded amazing. I brought something today. I brought a picture. And what do you think this picture could be? Okay, go, Russell. It's angels. Okay. Elijah. Okay. What do you think it is? Leo? Okay, Jesus going up to heaven. I'm going to show you all. What I did was I found a picture of the transfiguration. And I thought it was a great idea to show it to the children because it was painted by Raphael, who was, this was the last picture that he painted, and it was commissioned by the church. And because we're talking about transfiguration, I thought it was really cool to see the glory of Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of you up here, so I'm not going to open up on the floor like I did in 830 service, but probably if you saw um, Jesus and he became transformed, you would probably feel shocked, awed, and probably a little bit afraid. And so if you see the picture, you can see that some people actually do look a little bit afraid. I did some research on what exactly does transfiguration mean? What exactly does it mean to change? Because Jesus changed from his earthly, earthly figure and became glorious. And what I realized, and I was, uh, what I found out was that that transformation happens or metamorphosis happens from the inside out. So I did not say this in the earlier service, but if you're thinking about it, there is an animal that is one of my favorite animals perhaps an insect, that transforms from the inside out. And that, does anybody know what that animal might be or that insect? Caterpillar, which transforms into a butterfly. butterfly. And that is something beautiful, which is just a way that we get to see God's hand at work. But one of the cool things and the beautiful things is that we can be transformed from the inside out when we decide to follow Jesus. Isn't that great. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus, and thank you for allowing us to be transformed when we put our trust in you. Amen. So now our primary ringers are going to come forward. So if you guys stay seated but I need our primary ringers to come up.
As the children are making their way down, I'd like to invite Ian Coddington to come forward. He's going to speak to us and offer a ministry moment about our church, uh, scouting ministry. Good morning. I'm Ian Coddington, one of the eight-plus adult leaders of Troop 444. Troop 444 has had a continuous involvement with Reveille United Methodist Church for over 71 years. Pretty amazing that uh, we've had the support of the church, the members of the church, as the troop has been uh, going all of these years. Currently, we have about 60 scouts in seven patrols. The troop uh, is youth-led with adult supervision. We don't entirely turn everything over to the kids. Uh, we have a little bit more uh, duties to do than that. Troop 444, our mission in scouting is to develop leadership. This is the forte of Troop 444. This is what our whole object is. And we do this using the skills that are taught each week in our weekly program and also on our hikes and camping trips. All Scouts, one of the unique functions of scouting across the United States is that as a scout advances in rank, he must do community service. And that's outside of the, the troop itself. They have to go out into the community and do a service that renders uh, something special to particular organizations. Among the many uh, groups in Richmond that our troop has done community services for involves the Anna Julia Cooper School, the Shalom Farms Organization, Bell Mead Outdoor Park, Agecroft Hall, and erecting of numerous uh, lending libraries in communities, those little box things that are in a community that books are put in and people in the neighborhood can come and uh, read and put back, and other various organizations uh, in the community. There's a lot I could talk about scouting. I think it's sort of, we have a lot of parents here today, so uh, they know what's going on with the troop. And for those of you who are not quite familiar with scouting, we do many, many things. And we of Troop 444 are truly proud to be associated with Reveille United Methodist Church and the incredible support that it gives to scouting and to us. And we are deeply, deeply thankful.
Please join me in praying the prayer for illumination. O oh Lord, on this Sunday of Transfiguration, we pray that your light would pour over these pages and illuminate these words. May they dance with newness in our hearts and minds, that we would be radiant in reflecting your word in our living and serving one another. Amen. Today's first scripture reading is from the book of 2 Kings. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This may be found on page 290 of your Pew Bible. The prophet Elisha makes a final journey with his master, Elijah, the great champion of God during a time of pagan and worship. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Our second scripture reading comes from the ninth chapter of the book of Mark, reading verses 2 through 9. We invite you now to hear and listen for the word of God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and, a cl- the cloud, and from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as your word is offered today, it is our humble prayer that as you spoke from the clouds so long ago, that we would also hear that voice that says, listen to you. Open our hearts, open our minds as we strive to stare into these difficult things. For it is through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, again this morning, we are concluding our sermon series entitled Hard Questions. And I just need to say how much I have enjoyed uh, the correspondence around this. Many of you have written me emails or texts, and we've had conversations in the hallways discussing all of this. Uh, The series has been intended to help us think more deeply about hard things and also to drive us uh, toward the person of Jesus. But again, this morning, we're bringing it home literally as we ask this question together. Is heaven real? You know, last Sunday, I was speaking to a couple. Uh, This was their second visit to our church. Uh, So I was kind of explaining the unique setting of our hard question series. And I I said to them, uh, next week, we're going to be addressing the question, is heaven real? And this young man, he just looked at me and says, man, I hope so. And, you know, the truth is, uh, maybe this question of which we speak, is heaven real? Maybe it's not that hard. I was reading an article from, the Pew, uh, from Pew Research, a survey that was done after, in the midst of COVID, actually after COVID, in November 2021. And it has some statistics about what you and I believe as Americans, church, unchurched, all Americans, about the afterlife. Let me just highlight a couple of those things. Do you know that 72% of all Americans, Christian or not, religious or not, believe in heaven? 72%. 62% of the same group of all Americans believe in the existence of hell. It's an interesting side note. 68% of men believe in heaven. 78% of women believe in heaven. I don't know what to do with that. But also, interestingly enough, more women than men in America, by 65% to 59%, believe in the existence of hell. Well, you know what? Um, All that says that perhaps the real question is not, is heaven real? Maybe the real question for us is, what is heaven like? 
What is heaven like? I hope you had a chance to look at the email I sent out this past Friday. I try to do that to kind of give us an introduction to it all. But I offered an understanding of what different celebrities thought heaven was like. I included uh, one uh, reference to the video with uh, Stephen Colbert and Ringo Starr and his very unique understanding of heaven. But I was also intrigued to uh, read about science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. He expressed the attitude that many have about heaven when he wrote this, and I quote, I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. You know, a few uh, years back, New York Times uh, uh, writer Jeremy Peters did an article on the New York, then New York City Mayor Mike, Michael Bloomberg. And pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, Bloomberg said this with a grin. I am telling you if there is a God when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Michael Bloomberg. But you know what? We could keep on going with a bunch of stories, but with all due respect to all the parties involved and all the opinions about heaven, brothers and sisters, we can do better than this. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. And right here in these verses, we get this brief glimpse of heaven and so much more. You heard the story. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to Mount Hermon, uh, likely Mount Hermon, which is located today on the borders of Lebanon, Syria, and the Israeli-occupied territories. It's right adjacent to all the skirmishes and battles that are going on right there right now. And while they're up on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured, a big word meaning he is changed with, to heavenly glory. He's no longer the humble teacher and the prophet and the rabbi. He's in all his glory, and Elijah is there, and Moses is there. They represent the premier figures of the Old Testament, and they speak with Jesus. And then, of course, the disciples are also there, but they are befuddled in glory as they seek to build shelters until the voice of the Father intervenes through the cloud and says for the second time, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I mean, this text, it is remarkable because Mark, in his characteristic Mark brief fashion, he tells this story basically in just six verses. And then in those six verses, do you see what he does? He offers a picture of the entire Bible. In six verses, he offers the entire gospel. In six verses, he's got all the Old and New Testament combined right here. If you're looking for one picture of the Bible, I'm not sure we can do any better than this. See, again, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And they are here doing with Jesus what they did for 39 books of the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus, speaking to Jesus, speaking with Jesus. And then there's, of course, the person of Christ. In all the glory he had as this world was created, but also all the glory he, that is revealed in the book of Revelation when he comes again. And there's the Father speaking over it all, speaking through his Son. And then you and I are in this story, right? We are the befuddled disciples trying to figure out what do we do with all this glory? 
awkwardly trying to respond. And yet there's the grace of Jesus Christ who walks with us down the mountain trying to show us a better way. I mean, the transfiguration is like a a cliff note of the cliff notes. It's a picture of heaven and our response to it. So let's unpack this a little bit with the question, what does heaven look like? What is heaven really like? Let's go through a couple things. Well, the first thing you have to see about this picture is that Jesus is at the center. And because of that, heaven is a place of beauty. I mean, I could cite uh, multiple examples, including the three with which we opened the, service to, the sermon today. But most of us could probably anecdotally agree. Most of the accounts of heaven, the descriptions of heaven, of heaven that come our way, they are perhaps inspiring, they're nice, but Jesus is notably absent from them. But of course, the image here in the tra- account of the transfiguration is very different from most of the images that come to us from our culture. But here's the thing. I think we innately recognize the absence. And when the real thing shows up, it draws us in. You know, last week we, talked about, we asked the question about where were you uh, when 9-11 happened? Do you remember your uh, response to all that? But let me ask you another question. You know, a month after that, month after 9-11, the song, I Can Only Imagine came out. How did you respond to that years ago? How do you still respond to it today? Maybe you wept, and if you did, you are not alone. You know, we had a unique um, occurrence here yesterday. Some of you know that we had three very large services in the space of 24 hours over this weekend, and the last one culminated with a service for the son-in-law of Ed Walker, former pastor here. His son-in-law had served in the military uh, uh, for six years um, as a crew chief on a helicopter. He was also a participant in a, a heavy metal band. So I need to tell you, we, had, we were planned for 300 people in this service. Yesterday at 11, we had over 700 people here. Every seat in this room was filled. Every seat in the balcony was filled. And can I just say that um, it, was, it was a different group from what we are on Sunday morning, Right? <laughs> Just to give you an idea, one of, the, one of the premier songs in that was Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> but another song that they played in that service was I Can Only Imagine. I Can Only Imagine. And it was fascinating. I was, I was in the back of the church when they were playing that song, watching all 700 people just totally engaged. I was particularly engaged and observed one young man who was sitting right back there, about six rows up from the back. You know, um, young 20-something. I don't know if he was even born when the song was written. But in this very unique crowd of military and heavy metal, he was just had his face up and he was singing the song in the midst of all of this. Everybody was moved. Why did that song move so many people? Why does that song move us today? I would wager it's because it presents Jesus as Jesus is here in the transfiguration. It presents Jesus as Jesus is in eternity. And you see what it does? It offers you and me a true picture of home. That place for which every part of our soul yearns. That place 
that we seek. It calls us. It's beautiful and calls us because Jesus is inviting us from the very middle of it all. Let's keep going with this correcting trend around our impressions and pictures of heaven. And note that heaven is not so much in this story described as a spiritual place as it is a physical, a literal place. Can we just have a reminder that so much of our understanding of eternity for us today really comes more from Greek philosophy than it does from the Bible? I mean, many believe, contra the Bible, that when we die, our souls departs from our bodies, separated from our bodies, and our eternal existence is therefore ethereal, spiritual, non-physical. But you see how this runs exactly counter to everything we teach about the resurrection. See, Jesus was raised with a physical body. Jesus ate. Jesus drank. Jesus could be touched. To be sure, he was different, but he was recognizable. And see, the whole point is, the Bible says again and again, his resurrection is the first fruits. What happened to him is, going to, is exactly what's going to happen to us in many ways. That's important because it affects the way you and I think about ourselves, our world, and our creation right now. Our bodies, they matter. Who we are will continue eternally. And as we will be raised anew, so this creation around us. It's not going to burn up. It will be recreated. And helps us to think differently about how we care for our world around us. This is our home. Let's keep going. Here's another point. Heaven is much closer than we think. See, in many ways, the transfiguration is a preview, dare we say a trailer, to the whole book of Revelation. As Jesus comes in glory and, is, and God's dwelling place is right here in this world. And there is a reminder that heaven and all this glory of which we seek, it's not like some Star Wars movie in a far, far away galaxy. Instead, what happens in the transfiguration is the veil is torn to reveal a whole other dimension that is much more near than we could ever imagine. That's what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Paul said. He said, the Lord is near. Not far away, right here. You know, the classic Celtic theology and spirituality understood this. They spoke often of what they called, and I quote, thin places. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? I had some folks sharing with me their thin places just before we walked into worship here today. That there are times, there are events where the veil between this world and the next suddenly seems thin. And we could name some common ones. We believe that happens in the sacraments when we baptize, that Jesus Christ is right there with that child or that adult. We believe that Jesus Christ is right there in a thin place when we participate in the sacrament of communion together, as we participate in the bread and the cup. And we could keep going on with other places, but what, what I know is that you have experienced those thin places, a time when God was as real or more real than the air you breathed. It happened to me the day I was called to the ministry. Philip Yancey, in his book, Rumors of Another World, he puts it this way. 
He says, to me, the great divide separating belief and unbelief reduces down to one simple question. Is the visible world around us all there is? Do you hear that question? Is the visible world around us all there is? And he offers a resounding no, as does our text today. I think the best illustration I can think of this, around this, is the classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you have never read it, even if you're an adult, go read it. (laughs) Honestly, it is one of the best descriptions of heaven, hell, Jesus, evil, resurrection, kingdom of God that you will find anywhere. I still remember to this day sitting with our children at night, reading the book, a chapter a night with our kids. But it describes, you see, this creation and the heavenly one as being very near and proximate to each other. In fact, you just have to go through a wardrobe to get there. So where are we? We've generally agreed that heaven is real, but now we're taking a little bit of time to ask, what is heaven like? And we have said that Jesus is at the center. We have said that heaven is more physical existence than spiritual that heaven is more near than we can imagine. Let's do one more. One more. Because in heaven, we are still us. In heaven, we are still us. It would be natural not to think that. Now, certainly to use Paul's words, we will all be changed. But I invite you to look into the story of the disciples in the transfiguration. They are looking at heaven. They're looking in the face of glory. They're seeing the saints, Elijah and Moses. The voice of God is coming down through. It's all heavenly and there, and yet they are still themselves, still befuddled, still confused, not getting it. They see heaven, but they are still who they are. And though the pictures are pretty limited, I think it's a reasonable assumption that you and I will bring into heaven the person we have become in this life, the essence of ourselves, the most important parts of ourselves, our personalities and our spirit, that can be a good thing, but it can also be a hard thing. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus says they went into the heavenly realms. The poor man, Lazarus, in the old language, was brought into the bosom of Abraham The rich man, even though he was staring into eternity, he did not change. He was still who he was. He was still complaining. He was still presumptuous, still calling Lazarus to serve him. Who we become in this life, think about that, is carried into eternity. If we're a boisterous, narcissistic person who blames everybody else for all the problems, we will still be that when we cross into eternity. If we're not interested in God, if we're not interested in Jesus, if we're not interested in worship, we're not interested in loving our neighbor, we will still be that in eternity. And that's the reason why so many insightful writers have come to understand a broad picture of judgment, of heaven and hell, and have done so without discounting the primary role of the cross how you and I are saved through the cross, and why salvation matters right here, right now. Dallas Willard, uh, one of the deepest thinkers around faith and discipleship, somewhat famously said this, and I quote, 
God will let everyone into heaven who, in his considered opinion, can stand it. Only Dallas Willard can think of stuff like, let me read that again. God will let everyone into heaven who, in his considered opinion, can stand it. C.S. Lewis developed this thought even more deeply, and he unpacks it in his great book, classic book, called The Great Divorce. And in that story, people, because of who they have become, basically arrive at heaven, and they say, that's not for me. And they choose to turn around and go the other direction. And the point of the whole book is that the course of their lives in this world has made them into people who just aren't interested. And the other option looks a whole lot better to them. The point here is not hard, friends. When you, what you and I become in this life, it matters. And when you and I choose Jesus Christ right now, when you and I accept his offer of free grace right now, when you and I repent now, when you and I receive his forgiveness that comes right now and eternally from the cross, and when we give ourselves to be transformed by him now, by worship, by the sacraments, through his spirit, through listening and studying his word, something happens to you and something happens to me. Yeah, we will arrive at eternity, and certainly we will be shaken just as the disciples. But there, we will see not just Jesus in all his transfigured glory. We will see our Lord, whom we will shockingly call our friend. Our friend, who is also Lord of all. He will be the one that you and I have sought all our lives, smiling at you and smiling at me. And even though we may cross with the speed bump, We'll put the pedal down as we make our way to glory in all eternity and infinite love. But you see, this challenge, this transition can also be very challenge, a challenging chasm where we have to deal with our unsanctified selves before the holy. Certainly the cross covers that. And yet judgment day may not be as much as the Lord saying, depart from me, I never knew you as much as it is us saying, thanks, Lord, for the offer, but this just isn't my thing. So, friends, let's remember why this hard question is an important one. It's not just academic. Most of us agree, at least academically, that heaven is real. But often we can have a misplaced or limited understanding of what heaven is really like. But if we take hold of these fundamental things, all revealed in this remarkable account of the transfiguration, perhaps we too can be changed right here and right now. Perhaps we can come off with the mountain with Jesus. Perhaps we can heed the voice of God that is yet saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And if we listen, maybe you and I will become more in this life what we will be in the next. Maybe if we listen. Because we did, our community, our world, our families will become more like what they and we will be in the next life. And maybe if we do all that, we can find that place of hope, a place of hope for which so many people are searching in this day and age. It is true, we can only imagine what it's going to be like, but we have some very clear pictures right here. People are hungry for the hope 
that this text and our lives can yet offer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We invite you to remain seated as we sing together our hymn of response, number 707, Hymn of Promise. Friends, let us close our eyes, let us clear our minds, and go to the Lord in prayer. Holy God, we thank you for this day. In fact, we thank you for this day in particular where there are rains from your heavens coming upon all of your creation. And for some of us, when we look at rain, it brings up feelings of sadness, of grief, of hardship, of loss, of, of memories no longer, of memories held on, but lives no longer here. And Lord, we lift up those prayers for our friends who grieve when they see rain, for those who have claimed the promise of the life of the resurrection. On that same note, we also look at the rain, and some of us recognize the nurturing, the life, and the new creation. How you nurture this earth and how you nurture this creation 
when it rains and how you care for it. And in those, Lord, we lift up our voices and our prayers for those who see and feel and experience the promise of the resurrection. Lord, regardless of whatever it feels, we thank you for your promise, that your promise leads us in an understanding that we are not alone, that you are with us, that as it rains, it is an opportunity for us to see heaven on earth. We lift up our voices and our prayers to you. And now at this time, lift up these prayers, the ones that are unspoken on our hearts, in silence. Hear our prayers, O God, and we thank you for your grace as we wrestle and as we talk about these questions, if heaven is real. But we know that in the simpleness of when it rains and when the sun shines, as the hymn of promise tells us that you are here, that you are present. And we lift up these prayers to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and the one who taught us these words to pray in saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And at this time, I'd like to invite our scout ushers to uh, take our plates for our offering so we can give our gifts back to God.
Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. And on this day, as we give our gifts to you, we pray that they'll go to where they need to and serve the needs of all your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Friends, join us on our last hymn on page number 701, When We All Get to Heaven.
Indeed, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But I also invite you to remember that which we have learned this day, that heaven is much nearer than we believe or think at times. As you face the joys and challenges that come before you this week, hold on to that truth that as the Apostle Paul said, the Lord is near. And as a result, we are vessels of hope in a world that's searching for it. As we go now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as all God's people say, amen.